Here it is. Again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Little girls should be seen and not heard. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey, everybody. I'm Rob. And I am Joseph. Welcome to a special crossover edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. We are back with the second half of our crossover episode with our good friend, Will. Um, the episode is, to refresh everybody's memory, called The Bridge Between Punk Slash New Wave and Alternative Slash Modern Rock, 1987 to 1988. Uh, we're about to dive into Will's second band uh, that he chose to feature. But since we always like to kick things off with a song, I was thinking Concrete Blonde. We're oh, nice. going to address them briefly in a little bit. Um, now, Rob, on our show, when we get to 1986, we'll be mm -hmm. able to talk about their debut album. But that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I know that we are both big fans of mm -hmm. their third release, 1990s Bloodletting. Oh, yeah. So I can think of no better way to start things off with a bang than to feature the title track from that album. What do you think? I think it's already given me shivers, Joseph. Okay, here it is. Bloodletting off of uh, Concrete Blonde's third album titled Bloodletting. Welcome back to the second part of our crossover episode. I guess we just jump right back into it, right? Yeah, 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 good. So I'm going to be talking about a band called Pop Will Eat Itself. Nice. <laughs> I don't know if that's where the accents go, but uh, uh, <laughs> sounds good to me. This is a band I was not familiar with at all until a couple years oh, ago. I was yeah. doing some research for my show, and I discovered that they charted with some song and um uh, i was somewhat mesmerized by it <laughs> i found it unusual and i tracked down one of their albums in, in the dollar bins and uh i it, it's not what i would normally listen to but it uh it was fascinating in its own way are you guys familiar with this band at all i am i i am um i yeah. am to one extent or another, um, familiar with all of the bands um, that we're covering, but I am happy to say that um, of the bands that you picked, I just I have a lot to learn, 
And so this, this has been um, a really exciting opportunity for me to dive into some of these bands. I think po uh, the, the two songs that you picked that we're gonna listen to uh, now, total surprises to me. Like, makes me go, wait, do I know this band? Well, <laughs> oh, no. This, 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 this seems like a band that really is just constantly like moving and evolving and trying different things and and all of that. I, I know that they um that I am familiar with a number of their songs. I just can't name any of them. <laughs> sure. So so I could tell you that uh, I was a DJ on uh, internet radio station Music World Radio for a while. And one of the songs that you chose for this episode was a regular uh request on my show. And I probably played that song 40 or 50 times. Not even kidding. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, one thing, I don't know if, if this is going to be new to you, but I, I think it's fascinating. This band belongs to a genre that is not a genre I had ever heard of before doing research because it's not a term we use here in the United States. And um, that is Grebo. Hmm. Oh, okay. Do you, you guys know about Grebo bands? Not at all. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, so this is, uh, you know, like like a lot of labels, it is probably invented by some music magazine, and the bands themselves didn't necessarily categorize themselves this way. But um, other Grebo bands might include Ned's Atomic Dustbin, Jesus Jones, EMF, mm -hmm. cool. uh, mm -hmm. Carter, The Unstoppable Sex Machine, bands like this. So um, oftentimes it's music that has hip hop beats, uh, mm -hmm. sample heavy, often these like big processed guitar riffs. Like they're not guitar driven songs, but they've got like these big riffs that go in in just the right spot, you know, to give a little extra punch uh -huh. to it. Mm -hmm. um, and then they toy around with like some psychedelia type elements too. Um, so there's also maybe some some fashion similarities between these bands, but I, I don't really know how to describe it other than it looks like very late 80s and um, not the kind of style that you would look back on and go like, oh, yeah, that was cool. I want to dress like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, this band, uh, Papa Lead itself, formed in 1986 in England, and... Um, the main lineup is Clint Mansell, Graham Crabb, Adam Mole, and Richard March. And I watched their first video, and they looked like a very different band. They sounded like a very different band. It was almost like what you would expect of jangly guitar indie rock from England in the mid-'80s. Mm -hmm. But... Um, at some point, they started listening to hip-hop quite a bit. They got really inspired, and they decided they want to try some new things. And um, I'm going to play... The first song I'm going to play is the first single from their second album. This is 1989's This Is The Day, This Is The Hour, This Is This, and the song is called Death Con 1. Right now. Sounds of Tuesday moving fast, heads up, mind that blast. It's DEFCON 1 Can't get no sleep That's a chicken tick song No time to fear It's DEFCON 1 No time to eat So get me some Big Mac fries to go Give me Big Mac fries to go Give me Big Mac fries to go Give me Big Mac Give me fries to go Watchmen We love you all 
So I think the first thing people probably notice with that song is that it's full of samples and references to pop culture. Uh, the most noticeable being a sample of Funky Town by Lips Inc. But mm -hmm. if you listen carefully, you can also hear some I Want to Be Your Dog by the Stooges. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I didn't pick this one up, but uh, there's some crazy horses by the Osmonds in there. There's uh, Twilight Zone, mm -hmm. yep. um, the the theme song. So there is, I I don't think I've ever heard this song before, but there is one band that absolutely sprung to mind when I uh, heard this for the first time. And I cannot imagine that um, they weren't heavily influenced by... Um, can I take a oh, guess? Because because I I had the same I had the same response, and I hope it's the same band. When I heard this, I said this seems totally weird, and the only thing I've ever heard that yep. sounds like this at all is Sig Sig Sputnik. No, no, that's no different <laughs> band. Interesting. No, I am not that familiar with the the content of Sig Sig Sputnik, um, but my guess is that they also are influenced by Big Audio Dynamite. So this sounds like a big audio dynamite song as far as the way that it's constructed. Um, you know, obviously the vocals are not, don't sound like Mick Jones of, you know, of course, as everybody knows, Mick Jones left the clash and formed big audio dynamite and their first, particularly their first album, um, just chocked full of songs that that sound very very similar to this so mm -hmm. um i would be shocked if the members of uh pop will eat itself weren't uh, like heavy consumers of big audio dynamite uh it just it seems like a natural extension but once again total speculation on my part no i think that makes a lot of sense not just the the samples from other songs but also they sample clips of spoken word from tv mm -hmm. shows and and movies and things like that uh, i can hear that for sure mm -hmm. um i mentioned six six sputnik which is a band that i think is fascinating and I, I really hope you talk about them when you get toward the end of your run on your show um but i i was uh fascinated to see when i looked up pop elite itself one of their first singles was actually a cover of Six Six Sputnik's F One Eleven. Oh uh, wow! What's a love love rocket? Is that what's called? Uh, love missile, love missile F One Eleven. Well, well, my only reference, um, personal reference to Six Six Sputnik was um, all of the hype around that band. There was, I remember the hype around that band. Um, before they released their first album, there was like a bidding war and it, you know, there was a lot of press about, um, about, oh, th this band, this is the new direction that the cutting edge and all of that. And then the album came out and the industry just kind of like laughed. <laughs> it mm -hmm. just like, it was an absolute flop and and it just kind of turned out to be a nothing burger. I don't know that I've ever heard any of their music. Um, and so it'll be interesting to to actually hear it. 
that's my reference um, to it's sort of like the um, Howard the Duck of music or something. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I think I think what both bands are doing is they're really they have this vision of the future that that draws on so much pop culture and they're they're kind of pushing it toward this post-apocalyptic super information heavy uh sort of aesthetic. And um the other thing I think uh, about them that is similar is that you mentioned that there was all this hype and then they were kind of laughed out of town afterwards. Um, and the same thing is true of Pop Elite itself and the entire Grebo genre to some extent. I mm. think I think this this is a band that kept trying new things and was really like doing something interesting. But once we got to may, maybe the mid nineties uh, or a little later, um, no one wanted to have anything to do with Grebo bands. The, the, the music publications uh, thought they were a joke and you know, whereas genres like Britpop, people look back fondly on, and, and you know, a lot of those albums are considered classics. Um, you don't hear a lot of people bringing up Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, or you know, Jesus Jones albums as like uh, important albums from the early '90s. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I would also probably throw in the Soup Dragons in, mm -hmm. into that as well. I I remember them. Um, you know, for a second, it really seemed like, you know, those those bands were going to be like the next big thing. Um, but it just it, it seemed to fizzle out pretty fast. Yeah. And I, I thought a lot actually about why that is. And I don't have a great answer, but I think part of it is the fashion. <laughs> as weird mm. as that sounds, I think when you look at these bands and how they dressed and what their hairstyles were like, it has not aged well. Mm -hmm. And you just look at them and go, that looks silly from today's viewpoint. Whereas other genres, they still look cool. So um, they so they just didn't have a face for radio, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, but the other thing is, I think a lot of these bands that are, you know, largely white people and they're, they're using hip hop influences and a lot of times doing some semi wrapped lyrics, I think maybe that hasn't aged very well either. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Just just some thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the second song that you picked, I, you know, I believe that it that both songs are done by the by the same band but i never would have like gotten there on my own just to, <laughs> listening to them side by side of course no. there's six years in between the two right right yeah and i i think that's one of the cool things about pop elite itself is they they kept changing and trying to reinvent themselves at least for a while so by the time we get to 1994 which is when this next song is from uh they had morphed into almost an industrial band uh, does it sound sort of right yeah 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 but there's and, still uh, there's still like a real hip-hop influence mm -hmm. to it as well yes but it's different mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so we're gonna hear a song called ich bin ein auslander uh, auslander i believe translates to something like foreigner and outsider uh, yeah outsider yeah, yeah. and um the, this is a song which I think has actually aged pretty well, if not musically, then at least uh, in terms of the lyrical content. Listen to the victim abused by a system that 
this is the most streamed song of a pop will eat itself's uh, repertoire. Um, this is the most popular one. I don't think I've ever heard it before um, we put together this playlist. Um, but it is nice and heavy. I, yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually the song that, like I said, on my show on Music World Radio, I, I probably played this song 40 or 50 times throughout the mm. years that I did that I mm -hmm. did the show. Um, and uh, it was requested a lot through, I think, mostly from people in the UK and Germany which is interesting, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but, and I, I loved it. I thought it was, like you said, it's industrial, you know, it's got that grease and grime and yet it's got this real big kick. Well, before we um, move on to my second pick, um, let's just talk a little bit about uh, a couple of the, the sort of transitional punk bands. Uh, I'm referring to it as punk 2.0 um, just because I had to call it something. Um, so the the two that kind of like immediately spring to mind for me that work that kind of started out at the tail end of the like 70s early 80s punk movement they really kind of like paved the way to where punk was going um, was Husker Du um, of course uh, Husker Du. Bob Mould um, was the lead singer of Husker Du, went on to be uh, to have a, a very successful solo career. I imagine, um, Will, you're seeing a lot of him um, at this point. Yeah, he's he shows up quite a few times. Yeah, um, I I am looking forward to on our podcast when we get to Husker Du and kind of like jumping into it a little bit more. Um, and maybe I will like get the appeal. Um, I can say for Bob mold stuff, I had a couple of his albums in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, always just kind of put me to sleep. I never got the appeal of this sort of like punk pop thing. Um, but uh, my sense is that, that Will, you probably have a, a a little bit more insight into Bob Mold's appeal. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like I like Bob Mold and Sugar and Husker Du yeah. quite a bit. Oh, right, yeah. Sugar. Right, I forgot about Sugar. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know. In a lot of ways, the it's there's not that much difference between the bands. Husker is obviously quite a bit heavier, mm -hmm. punkier, but um, they they have a similar sensibility in terms of songwriting um and it is you know it's it's catchy melodies <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's pop music disguised in uh, like a, a heavier veneer i guess yeah 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 and then rob you are a huge fan of concrete blonde i right? am indeed yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah me too so their their first album i believe is released in 1986 so we will actually cover it and it's a pretty like straightforward respectable punk album um i remember having it and um mm -hmm. really liking it 
and then they they sort of evolve. They they do a really nice job at transitioning into like the early '90s and kind of um, you know changing with the times. They got yeah. a I, I remember they got a lot of radio play on like alternative rock radio in the early '90s. They're definitely one of those bands that like uh, rode the wave of of you know trends with mm-hmm. with pop mu- popular music mm-hmm. um and and that's cool i'm I'm actually really impressed that you remembered that i was a big fan thanks joseph <laughs> sure um any other bands that either of you want to sort of add to this you know like punk bands that were just starting out right there at the the you know the mid to late 80s uh the really kind of just moved on into the 90s successfully well you know i don't know if it fits perfectly with punk 2.0 but i wanted to give a shout out to throwing muses i think yes. that's that's a band that doesn't get enough credit they uh, put out their first ep in 1984 i believe mm-hmm. and i think they were the first american band to sign to the 4ad label mm. in oh, england wow. and um i th- i think if i'm not mistaken their first album, which is a really, really good album. Uh, I'm not sure if it was ever released in the U.S., honestly. And Hmm. if that's true, I think that probably goes a large way in explaining why they're not uh, more highly regarded. But their their 1986 self-titled debut album, I think, is just fantastic. Well, I I had several of their albums, but I, I can't really remember exactly which ones. Um, they were one of those bands that every once in a while they would they would there would be a song that would just seem brilliant to me, you know. So in the late '80s, early '90s, they would appear on a lot of like mixtapes that I had because mm-hmm. there were just um, uh, every you know every album would have like two or three songs that just absolutely stood out from the rest um i i really liked um throwing muses i i kind of forgot about them they were they were a great little band but but they didn't yeah they didn't get a lot of traction i don't think here in the united states and they had a ton of albums out too if i remember correctly i mean they, they came out with albums pretty regular didn't they they put out quite a few up through the mid 90s yeah are are you seeing much of them on the modern rock charts or uh, i believe they charted 3 times if i'm not uh-huh. mistaken uh-huh. yeah cool cool all right we get to talk about bong water i'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> so i can't imagine that bong water ever makes any sort of appearance on the modern rock charts um they are you know i'll tell you um, when I discovered Bongwater in the late 80s, early 90s, I really thought that they were, uh, they were the ne- they were like riding the wave of like the next big thing. Uh, but then sort of like grunge hit and, you know, kind of sucked the energy out of uh, the oxygen out of the room for, for a bunch of these other sort of like, alternative college rock type bands that were bubbling up um 
they only released three albums. Uh, Bongwater was, uh, excuse me, four albums uh, between um, 1987 and 1982. Uh, just two members um, in the band. So Anne Maginson uh, was the female vocalist. Her, her day job um, was as an actor. She was uh, pretty successful. Uh, I think she was a regular on a soap or something. Um, and and then Mark Kramer, who is just sort of like the the stoner musician guy who just holed away and, you know, made trippy sounds and and put together collages of 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 music that Anne would come in and do her like, her very theatrical storytelling singing over. Um, now, Mark Kramer started a, a very, uh, not very successful, but very influential label called Shimmy Disc. Um, is Shimmy Disc something that was ever on your radar, Will? No, I don't. I, I was not familiar with this band at all, and I don't believe I've heard of Shimmy Disc. Bongwater, King Missile, um, Guar, Ween. <laughs> uh, I think those are the Dog Bowl. Um, I think those are the big ones. Of course, King Missile I, is probably the most, the one that everyone's, if you've heard of any of these bands, King Missile, you know, Jesus was way cool. Is that right? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, detachable penis uh, actually oh, charted. Oh, right, right, right. Detachable penis. That's right. So this is like, um, this is stream of consciousness, uh, storytelling over wild music. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny that we're talking about Bongwater, Rob, right after we did our Patti Smith. Um, right. Because... You're you're very big on Patti Smith. Me, not so much. You mm -hmm. like her because of the poetry and the storytelling. Um, yeah. Bongwater is my kind of like poetry storytelling. Two totally <laughs> different sensibilities. I'm wondering how you feel about Bongwater. Well, you know what? Before well, we even get me... to that, can we let's uh -huh. just listen to the first song? Sure enough. Um, so, so that everybody has sort of a reference about what we're talking about. So um, the first song, their their songs are just bananas. Honestly, I can't recommend that people go and listen to the full albums because you got to drudge through a lot of just, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Garbage isn't the right word, but just a lot of very self-indulgent stuff to get to the gems. But the, the high points of Bongwater albums are really high. They're like when when everything falls into place, um, it is absolutely magic. You, you hear stuff that I've never heard before. Um, so the first song we're going to hear is a song called USO off of the album Double Bummer. Just out of boot camp, looking for sin.
I've heard bong water before. I, I haven't been, um, you know, I'm not necessarily a fan and I'm not super familiar. Um, I think the first time I heard bong water was when I was doing MWR and you were on my show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, now the first thing that I, I picked up on when I was, when I heard this song, uh, we were preparing for for this episode was it reminded me um of another band and i thought to myself joseph was in a band that must have been influenced by bong water <laughs> yes 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 i we were me and my buddy were hugely influenced by bong water you know bo- both of us had our our background was in theater and storytelling and everything and when we discovered bong water we were like oh this is interesting this is what we want to do i i I'd like to think that we didn't um you know, try and mimic them, but we were definitely inspired by them about this is the way that you tell stories. This is like um, a new direction that you can go and be very theatrical, but still create music. Um, But, you know, we, we never did anything as far as I'm concerned, we never did anything that touched the, the like brilliant, little nuggets that um, well bong water created so where where are you at will with bong water uh, not not a band <laughs> that you were familiar with before right? no didn't didn't know anything about this band and um i, I gotta say i find them more fascinating to read about than, uh, <laughs> That I actually enjoy listening to it. Um, maybe that's not true. I, there's, there's something there's something intriguing about it for sure, but it's not not the kind of thing I'm going to be reaching for regularly. Yeah, yeah. Well, are you are you a fan of like Ween or um, uh, King Missile or is that that whole sort of approach not really your thing? I I would say small doses. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So the second song, um, my very, very favorite uh, bong water song is off of their Power of Pussy album from 1990. Um, This is their most popular album and my favorite album of theirs. It's a song called Obscene in Pornographic Art. They're over there next to the medieval armor.
Well, as you know, I mean, b both of us have the same format in the sense that we only feature short snippets of songs. And usually when you got a song, you can you can grab 45 seconds or something and, and have a fairly satisfying representation of the song. This is painful to just grab 45 seconds because it is a story that you just really got to listen to from beginning to end. So I want to recommend everybody to go do the playlist and listen to this song um, all the way through because <laughs> it's it's astonishing storytelling as, as far as I'm concerned. I just can't even tell you how many hundreds of times I've heard this song and I never get tired of it. Yeah, well, I, I, can, I can relate. There's been a few songs in the course of my podcast where I just – really struggled like i can't do the song justice in yeah. 30 seconds or whatever but uh hear what you're saying with this one it's uh it's it's like you need to pick and choose three different parts of the song four different parts of the song <laughs> to really you know get the idea across it's cool yeah. i like this one yeah 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 and she's a you know this is the kind of song that sort of like lives or dies about how good of an actor the vocalist and of course you know that's her day job, so she just absolutely nails it. I, I love it. Um, I forgot to mention the the top Spotify songs for Bong Water. Uh, so the number one song is Chicken Pussy. The number second song is The Power of Pussy. Um, the third song is actually a Roxy Erickson um, cover song called You Don't Love Me Yet off of the uh, tribute album. Mm. Number four is the drum, and number five is what is it? Um, and uh, if you are intrigued, I would you definitely want to start with um, the power of pussy, and just be prepared to wade through some not very compelling stuff to get to these brilliant little songs that that are unlike anything that you've ever heard before i'm a huge wow, fan of bong water great. but but um you know if if you know someone who likes bong water have them make a playlist for you so you don't have to wade through all the <laughs> other stuff <laughs> but they're 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 for pretty sure. pretty singular band and um i think shimmy disc was um the the label was more sort of influential than it was successful. Uh, so let's go ahead and look at uh, look at a couple of other notable bands uh, in the college rock cork here. Um, they might be giants, Camper Van Beethoven and Mr. Bungle. I'm really familiar with They Might Be Giants and Mr. Bungle. I know Joseph's a huge fan of Camper Van Beethoven. I love Camper Van Beethoven. They're... Um, album our beloved revolutionary sweetheart uh one of my all-time favorite albums they um they were you would never confuse them with rem but they were at the they were contemporaries and they were both sort of like post new wave um kind of at that time the idea of college radio charts was becoming a thing which would turn into like modern rock and um 
both R.E.M. and Camper Van Beethoven were sort of like paving new ground. Of course, Camper Van Beethoven, the the lead singer, would go on to form um, uh, Cracker. Cracker, thank you. I wanted to say cake, but I, <laughs> I knew it wasn't cake. It was Cracker. Um, and of course, Cracker, you're you're gonna spend a lot of time on your pat or your podcast talking about Cracker, I imagine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we've talked about Cracker already at this point, yeah. Yeah, and then um, other members of Camper Van Beethoven went on to form the Monks of Doom, um, which, you know, were um, producing some interesting stuff. Um, they are, uh, Camper Van, Be Van Beethoven was from Santa Cruz. Um, which is, you know, just right down the coast from where I grew up. And I actually went to school in Santa Cruz for a little while. And uh, are you, Will, are you that familiar with Camper Van Beethoven? Yeah, I'm a pretty big fan. I've seen them live. Oh, nice. Very yeah, nice. Very yeah. And uh, yeah, I enjoy them quite a bit. And they actually managed one modern rock chart hit right at the tail end of their career, although it was a cover. Uh, <laughs> pictures of Matchstick Men? And that's the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Um, and then Mr. Bungle, uh, it's interesting, you know, to me, Mr. Bungle, their, their big moment was when they released California, which was the late 90s. Um, mm -hmm. Our... Uh, Rob, I know you're familiar with um, California because we played it all the time at the video store. It was yeah. like a, yeah, it was absolutely. a staple. Um, uh, Will, are you familiar with California? Um, you know, if you played something for me, I, I probably would recognize it. But Mr. Bungle's a band I've never really listened to outside of uh, a good friend of mine in high school. He he played it in his car a lot, and I generally didn't like most of the bands he was into, so I uh -huh, uh -huh. avoided Mr. Bungle as a result. Uh, California is a masterpiece. I cannot recommend this album enough for anyone who's not familiar with it. It is, um, they are doing so many different things that shouldn't work, but somehow do. So, Rob, I was... I was not aware that Mr. Bungle was from Northern California. They're actually from Arcata. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just up the street from where I am, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, I had no idea. Um, and then, of course, uh, one or maybe two members of Mr. Bungle also um, were uh, founding members of um, Faith No More. Yeah. Which yeah. Um, had really had more more success than than mr bungle did um oh yeah by far <laughs> yeah yeah so anyways um big fan of mr bungle and felt like we should at least mention them and then of course uh and then of course they might be giants is uh i think everybody knows who they are yeah this is yeah a, a band that uh I don't know. They're 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 amazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that everybody likes them, but I find them to be incredible. <laughs> I'm I'm a super fan, and uh, yeah, sweet. <laughs> this, this is the band 
uh, one of the one of the alternative bands that really got me into music. I came across them in middle school, which I think is the perfect time to discover they might be giants. <laughs> and I, I stayed a huge fan for a very long time. I've probably seen them four or five times at least live. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So I back in the day, I remember having conversations with friends of mine because of their uh, their dynamic. I mean, they're their music is just so interesting and so, uh, I guess, theatrical, right? Uh, and their lyrics and just the way they perform. We, we often talked about really wanting to go see They Might Be Giants in concert because we just thought it would be amazing. Um, and we never did get the opportunity. Um, so I, I imagine that those were just great shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and each one was different. You know, I've seen them with uh, just a duo and I've seen them with like a, brass band behind them <laughs> you know, right like, right all right. kinds of different stuff yeah so yeah they, well they they didn't really ever get much commercial success but i i think they did pave the way for uh bands like bare naked ladies um you know that that sort of like alternative pop quirky thing um mm-hmm. that that uh kind of got a lot more traction uh like mid 90s they they might be giants was um de- definitely you know kind of led the way for some of that stuff but they didn't it didn't slow them down either i mean they they i, I don't know if they're still making music but they were as of just not too long mm-hmm. ago like a, mm-hmm. you know yeah years ago yeah um one of one of my favorite albums of theirs they they was um an album called join us which was released in like the late aughts i think Mm -hmm. um so they they are a remarkably consistent band i love the the album that they did for children i thought that was fantastic We've got that. I think we bought it for my daughter, and my wife and I listened to it on our own. I don't think our kid ever heard it. <laughs> but I, I do. I guess I do appreciate how. I mean, the albums you guys are calling out are like very late into their career. You know, usually people talk about the first couple albums, and um, yeah, these guys just keep on going. They even did a, a science album, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in that album they talk about how the sun isn't actually a massive incandescent gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it's so many. I mean, I find for the most part, I find that um, they're the eat most of the albums. There's like a a couple of just perfect little songs, and then a lot of stuff that it doesn't doesn't really connect with me but um boy those perfect little songs are are kind of singular in their in their oddness um and you know i just love 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 like build a little birdhouse in your soul Mm -hmm. and whistling in the dark and there's there's just so many great great songs that they've done over the years um i actually find that they're more more recent stuff as far as the albums go seem a little bit more consistent um as opposed to their earlier stuff that just kind of seemed all over the place but that's a you know a personal thing 
Sure. I, I know what you mean. They were really, especially with the first album or the first couple albums, they were really throwing darts. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them were going wild. But, uh, you know, I do miss the uh, the drum machine on occasion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we right. have just one more band to uh, take a closer look at. And, Rob, that is your second pick. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, when we talked about doing this episode, you were surprised that I didn't pick, uh, I think, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And Mm -hmm. the funny thing is, is that I I thought about Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I ended up picking a band that kind of touched me in a lot of like, it it touched me in a personal way when the band was was out when they were recording. Um, And that is Soundgarden. Um, Soundgarden was, was put together in Seattle in 1984 by Chris Cornell and, and Kim Thale. Um, the band, they cut six studio albums between 1988 and 2012. Uh, they released their first single, Hunted Down, uh, in, in 87 on Sub Pop. And uh, the, the, the B-side to that was Nothing to Say, and that was actually put on a compilation that was kind of shopped around and sent around to a bunch of different uh, recording companies. And it, it got them a lot of notice, and these guys were really into them. Um, they, uh, they then released an EP called Screaming Life. Now, I, uh, they, they released their first album, like... October, late October. It was, I think, it was Halloween of of 1988 on SST Records, and it was ultra mega okay. And when I first heard this band, um, I mean, to me at first they just sounded like you know a, a, another metal band. Um, but I kind of stuck with them, and their songs, their lyrics, uh, the whole sound ended up kind of seeping into me you know <laughs> and uh and and i became a, a huge fan um of course you know some of the songs go dark in fact we later learned that chris cornell had had a lot of issues with uh, uh addiction he had issues with depression and and you know mental illness anxiety um and so that makes a whole lot of sense but i think those songs kind of spoke to people who had a lot of the same issues you know, um, and so to me, this is why they're like a super important band, and, and why why they really really touched me. Um, the band consisted of uh, Chris Cornell with lead vocals uh, and rhythm guitars. Kim Thale was a guitarist. Hiro Yamamoto on the bass. Matt Matt Cameron on drums, and then later Ben Shepard uh, replaced uh, uh, Yamamoto in 1990 on bass. Um, and uh ultra mega okay was it really was the, the first album of theirs that i had and uh of course it was not their most popular but it was the first one that that i had and that i i it really it really got me it grabbed me so and did you uh, did you get it before grunge hit or did, is yes. that yes oh you're good no good, it, good for it, you it was before grunge in fact mm-hmm. i i remember I remember not even thinking that they were part of the grunge scene at first, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and mostly because when I when I first heard them, like I said, I thought they were just another metal band, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then it, it, funny enough, because I was I was in high school when this happened, right? So I kind of scoffed the grunge scene at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> said, "No thanks, I'll stick to my Soundgarden," but. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, they they're a great band. So, and, and did you did you guys ever did you listen to them at that time, or had you heard? Did you hear their music that early? Honestly, I'm I was surprised to find out that they were around so early. I I've wow. always associated them with the um, with the grunge movement. They yeah. are one of the few grunge bands where I actually owned one of their albums, so I had Super Unknown, um, like uh -huh. everybody else on the planet their biggest, at the time. Yeah, their biggest album. Um, and so, you know, I, I've always just associated them with grunge and kind of assumed that they were just part of that wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've listened to them. Uh, I'm a big fan from Bad Motor Finger on, but outside nice. of their early singles, I've never listened to the first two albums. Oh, okay, right on. Um, yeah, well, uh, you know, they definitely evolved, especially from like after the first album. I think, you know, grunge really kind of, you know, I mean, they they jumped in there, but people were still like, hey, they're they're still a metal band, you know, um, but. But again, they evolved after that, and they kind of went with the flow. So um, I chose a I chose a song off of their first album, Ultra Mega OK, and uh, this song is is called Beyond the Wheel. this song i like this song a lot it is heavy and it is dark um <laughs> and i i don't know that i would could sit through a whole album of this but but this is a this is a pretty compelling song i went back to my notes in preparation for this i i looked at my notes from when i sat down the first time to listen to these songs and i have just one thing written um, about this song. Uh, it's actually a question. And the question is, I wonder how many goats were sacrificed to this song? Because, <laughs> <laughs> man, great. this is some dark, heavy stuff, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it, it's, it's definitely got some, I mean, there's a message there for sure. Um, I think when I first heard it, I was a big fan of like that ritual droning sound, mm -hmm. you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the theme that was running through it, but it's, it, it's, I, I felt at first, like the song kind of sounded simple, but you're listening to the lyrics and it's, it's, yeah, it's about the devil or it's about, um, who's really running the world or, you know, who's cracking the whip on, on the enslaved masses. Right. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, 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 it was the funny thing is, is they also went as far as 
to put the song in between uh, the tracks uh, entitled 665 and track 667. Uh, so mm. this, even though it's named Beyond the Wheel, is, you know, 666. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, I had no idea, but I wasn't even listening to lyrics. It's just, it's got that feel to it for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, this is a band that, that of course, is going to show up on, on Will's podcast uh, or, or has already, oh. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, it hasn't. Uh, this is surprising to me, but uh, Soundgarden charted 12 times on the modern rock charts, but mm-hmm. not until 1994. Of course. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised, honestly. I really thought that one of the singles from Bad Motor Finger would have charted. Um, yeah, there, yeah there's some, some pretty strong, fairly poppy songs on there. I mean, poppy might not be the right word, but like Outshined, like that's a radio single if I ever heard one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, um, so Super Unknown is their fourth album. And uh, came out uh, came out in March eighth of nineteen ninety four, and yeah, that album hit big. It was on A and M, um, and uh, produced by oh gosh Michael Michael Beinhorn Beinhorn, um, and he he produced people like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Violent Femmes, and Hole. Um, so it, by this time, they were definitely part of the grunge, you know, the grunge scene. They were definitely in that wave um it was of course their more most successful album it debuted at number one on billboard 200 um and had two grammy winners on it with spoon man and black hole sun probably the two most mm-hmm. well-known songs on the album um but yeah again this uh, as popular as this album was um they go back and touch on the whole mental illness uh, issue and uh, the depression issue. And I think at that point in my life, it was, you know, it spoke to me quite a bit. So um, the second song that I picked for them for this episode is, is Fell on Black Days. band broke up in well let me just put it this way chris cornell died in 2017 and uh and uh, by his own hand and the band was unsure of what they were going to do so they they're like well what do we do well they they broke up now they ended up getting getting back together to do a a tribute and uh it was it was really sweet there were a lot of bands from 
you know, the grunge scene from, from metal, from, I, I guess, just from all over the music industry, mm-hmm. got back together and did this tribute. And uh, I've heard a lot about it. And for some reason, I haven't, I haven't seen, there's a video floating out there that I just haven't watched. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I will, but <laughs> like I said, it's, it's a band that, that kind of touches me and, and Chris Cornell in general, because I've listened to his his solo stuff. I've listened to, you know, Audio Slave, a big fan of. Yeah, I mean, this this song is I I, I think it's fine. It's my least favorite on this playlist, um, uh, just because it feels like I, I, I'm trying to remember. But but by 1994, uh, it seems like there are uh a real formula has been established for like grunge and this is um this is sounding like really formulaic to me um and not particularly uh, not nearly as interesting as the first song um and uh, i i got to tell you i i got bored by by um grunge pretty quickly but um you know, that's a different conversation for a different day. <laughs> I, I will say that I was not bored quickly by grunge. I, I, um, I knew very little music when grunge was exploding. And um, I actually remember I, I got um subscription or whatever to BMG music service. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My first, my first CDs were purchased through that and I had no MTV. I had no way to like hear any of these songs. So I was, basically buying blind based on album art mm-hmm. and descriptions. Uh-huh. And I remember, I remember liking the description of super unknown and I had trouble pulling the trigger cause the album art was a little scary for me. You know, I'm listening to they might be giants and I'm looking at, I don't even know what that's a picture of. It looks like <laughs> an evil bat head or something, but uh, eventually I did. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad I did. It's uh, I think a really, really cool album. And I, I yeah. think this song is cool and there's a lot of really great songs on there. Okay, yeah, you would definitely. you you want to hear my little tirade about grunge? <laughs> sure. Okay. So, sure. Yeah. You know, so I I was when when punk was hitting, I was too young to be aware of it. But by the time I got to high school, I, I was sort of re I was sort of discovering um, all of these cool punk bands and really got into punk. Um, not as much as some people. I didn't. I wasn't a punker. But I was really kind of into punk rock. And then, um, you know, and then in the late 80s, New Wave just sort of like died. Um, and it, like there there was this college rock stuff that was coming up that seemed like really cool. And then grunge hit and, you know, kind of like sucked the o- oxygen out of the room. But... So when I looked at grunge, I was like, oh, hmm, this is like punk rock, except for you take out like the high energy speed, you take out the humor, <laughs> and you take out the like social conscious like protest stuff, which are the three things that I like about punk. And then what do you have? You have grunge. Um and so I just I got bored with it pretty quickly. I don't I don't think like it's bad or anything. It's just 
I'm a punk guy, you know? I yeah. like punk. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, in hindsight, I totally see that. When I look forward at the modern rock charts, that sucks the air out of the room thing you've been describing, I, I see it on the charts. We go from just these modern rock charts that are so diverse, so yeah. many different types of sounds, yeah. to like this very uniform playlist within a couple of years. Yeah. But mm -hmm. um, for someone who, you know, I was, you know, 14 in 1994. Yeah. And, and the only music I'd been hearing is like early nineties country music from yeah. my parents yeah. on the radio. Oh, yeah. Uh, this grunge stuff seemed so exciting and visceral and like sweaty yep. and real. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, the exact same thing happened with new wave within a couple of years. It just, you know, it went to something like very exciting and vibrant. And then the big labels realized, oh, this is where the money is. And then all of these bands came in that just were like pop bands that just sort of adopted the trappings and it just became watered down and uniform and kind of soulless and they figured out the formula and then they just kept doing it over again. I mean, that is by 1986, um, the new wave movement is, is kind of dead. Um, and I, I, I think you can, you can like look at what happened and kind of like superimpose it over the, uh, the grunge movement, uh, pretty, pretty, um, you know, I, I, I think there's definitely correlations as far as how that played out. Um, I think it's pretty typical with, uh, with trends that just kind of musical trends that just kind of pop up out of nowhere. So that's my, that's my little armchair amateur um, uh, take analysis on that. Grunge, yeah. so. Well, I, I will, uh, you know, I, I will admit that when grunge was getting big, I made fun of Nirvana and, um, it's not something I like admitting because I ended up really liking the band and respecting the band and, and really just, just enjoy them now. I mean, I also made fun of Pearl Jam, but, but that didn't take long for me to like shake that off, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I was into the metal and then, you know, here comes, here comes Nirvana and, and, and Pearl Jam. And I'm like, ah, oh, who are these guys? But I, I kind of fell in line. I really enjoy them. Yeah. Yeah. Just real quickly, I want to, uh, we've got one last little category I came up with. Um, the uh, uh, other notable bands, sort of the alt-pop um, that was that was kind of uh, bubbling up in uh, 87, 88. So some bands that just off the top of my head, uh, Rob, at one point, uh, excuse me, Will, at one point when we were kind of planning out for this, you mentioned Game Theory, which I was pleased to hear. I was a huge Game Theory fan, um, and I thought that they were going to be big, but um, it didn't quite end up that way. Do, do, do they ever touch the modern rock charts? No, they don't, and I honestly can't remember how I stumbled upon this band, because... Oh. Uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't around listening to them at the time, yeah. but um, I, I 
I'm so glad I discovered them. Um, I really like them a lot. And I have a special place in my heart for bands that somehow completely eluded me. Like I had no idea they existed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's just more fun and more exciting when you go like, wow, how did I completely overlook this band? (laughs) And they've got all of this great music. So, yeah, Yeah. I, I, I was buying game theory albums in real time um, as they were coming out in the late eighties and early nineties. And I really, and I wasn't the only one there were, there were rock critics were saying, um, Oh, this is the new Jesus of cool and, and all of that. But it just never just didn't quite happen. Um, Other bands I have in my notes is in this general um uh category is the hoodie gurus so the hoodie gurus started out as sort of like a post-punk band their first album stone age romeos was pretty cool and then they evolved into something that i ended up just hating in the early 90s (laughs) that sort of like alt rock pop I imagine that um, they pop up a lot on the modern rock charts in the early 90s. Uh, they chart just one time, and I wonder if that... I don't know how long really? the band was around. Huh. Um, I guess they did stick around for a while. Yeah, they charted one time. They had a single hit. It went to number one uh, for three weeks, and the song was Come Anytime. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, wait, no, I could be wrong. Hold on. Maybe the second one came. Huh. No, they did. Yeah, uh, Miss Free Love 69. Yes, that's the <laughs> one. I, that's the one I remember. And they... Um, they went from a band that I thought was really cool to something that just drove me nuts. Um, the Smithereens were kind of like that too. Um, so blood, blood and roses. Are you guys familiar with mm-hmm. that song? That was, yeah. that was like their first um, kind of notable single. Um, and then by the early nineties, they were doing just pretty straight ahead rock pop. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's when they charted, they, they put five songs on the charts, uh-huh. but, uh, yeah, they're pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Pop rock. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're especially for you is, um, uh, really, uh, it's, it's very, it's very poppy, but it's not, it's poppy in a different way than they're kind of like really obvious stuff. Um, and I remember just adoring that album when it came out. Their second album, um, Green Thoughts or Green Room or something. Green. Yeah, Green Thoughts. Green Thoughts yeah. um, was, was pretty good too. And then, Will, you added the Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah. Yeah, good choice. Um, yeah, especially with uh, British bands, these guys were just so influential. And when I read about bands coming into the 90s, like all of these British bands just cite Jesus and Mary Chain as one yeah. of their favorites or one of their big influences. You know, another one we should throw in there is Love and Rockets. I think I think mm-hmm. Love and Rockets kind of like started out at the end, the tail end of the post-punk movement and then... Um, continued in uh through the late 80s into the early 90s uh i remember no new tale to tell um was um uh, that was probably 87 88 um 
And that was that was a pretty big hit, if I remember correctly. You know, it's interesting is that uh, I'm not familiar with I'm not very familiar with any of these bands. I mean, I know the Smithereens and I know Jesus and Mary Chain and, and Love and Rockets. Um, of course, Jesus and Mary Chain, I think, had a song on like the Crow soundtrack. Um, but all these bands played on an alternative uh, alternative rock uh, rock channel that I used to listen to, a station out of uh, Sacramento, I think. Um, and I could barely get it on my dial. Like if I, you know, held one arm a certain direction and I tilted the, you know, I could I could really dial it in for about two hours or three hours and then it was gone again. But um, all those bands played on that radio station and 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 uh, that radio station kind of I don't know went south. <laughs> but but yeah, good choices. Yeah. Such good, such good stuff. Well, we've got one more Pixie song um, to talk about. That's my pick. So, um, Will, you you mentioned, uh, actually, both of you mentioned that you kind of prefer the earlier Pixie stuff to the um, the last couple of albums before their initial breakup. Um, I like all of the stuff that they did in the late earlys, uh, late. 80s, early 90s. Um, and I particularly like Bossa Nova. It was their third full-length album. Um, what I liked about it, it is a very slick, very well-produced um, and very produced album compared to like their EP or Surfer Rosa, which was uh, much more, you know, um, rough around the edges um but even though it was it was so produced they still managed to 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 um you know get this this sound to them that was that was pretty high energy and um abrasive and just kind of sounded cool and hard particularly in the guitars um so total pop i i would say of their albums um bossa nova is their poppiest one but it's still pretty hard um which i like and uh i think a perfect example of that is the song hangwire so that's my choice uh, for a pixie song if I really like I really like this song. Um, so this is off their one of their later albums, but I, I'm reminded that I don't dislike I don't really dislike any of their stuff. Um, but I, I you know I am still favoring their their earliest 
earliest stuff, but this is a good tune. Well, I think we need to wrap it up. Um, so, Will, this is we we now officially. Um, I'm not sure what the audio equivalent of a cinematic universe is, but uh, your podcast and our our podcast are in it now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this had a really good time tonight. Yeah, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I'm so excited that we get to talk about these bands that Rob and I never are going to have an opportunity to on our regular um, episodes. Yeah. So, so this has been, uh, I've, this idea has been like mulling around in the back of my brain for a long time. And I'm glad that we're finally getting a chance to do it. So um, why don't you remind everybody about your podcast and uh, what it's about and uh, where where you are chronologically in it and how they can find you. Sure. My podcast is called This Is Modern Rock. And each episode, we look at one month on the modern rock charts, starting with September 1988. And I believe the last episode I posted was July 1992. So if you're looking for the podcast, you can find it wherever you find podcasts. Just type in This is Modern Rock, and I should be there. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, Ro Rob and I um, are subscribers and, and listen to yep. episodes as they come come up. So um, I encourage – I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it's not like, oh, the music completely changes – between 86 and 88, you know, there's there's still so much um, of the same kind of thing going on that I, I just, I have a hard time imagining somebody liking the music that we talk about and not liking the music that you talk about, so... Right, or vice versa. So I want to remind everybody that um, we are going to release episodes on the second and fourth Sundays of the month, as opposed to the first and the third. And then hopefully the a month after that, we'll get back onto our regular schedule. So, Rob, we are talking about June and July of 1979, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh it's going to be a blast. Uh, there's a lot of good music going on. Um I I don't know. Some of my favorites are in this playlist. So Yeah, I'm have you have it. you listened to all the albums? I've I I I've listened to them at least once. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so excited. So much great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> so so absolutely we we will talk to everybody soon. Um, you know, I got so, when when Will said that he wanted to talk about the pastels, I got so excited about um, truck, train, tractor, or whatever it's called. Um, that <laughs> uh, I just I just absolutely have to hear it. So we are going to go out on that. Um, the very first pastel song that I ever heard, and. Um, Still probably my favorite of their songs. Um, so thank you, everybody, for sticking with us to the very, very end. Um, and I hope every, everybody's having a great summer. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Bye. See ya.
Can I just say though, um, I'm, I'm pretty jealous that you all get to talk about B-52's debut album, and I have to talk about good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah.